0: Long Talk Radio.
1: Good evening, everyone, welcome to another Wednesday night edition of our Sports Conversation. I'm Don Henderson. This is the Fighting Network, and our normal people are in line. Roy Cummings in Tampa. We'll talk about that big game on Monday night. Roger Handler is currently at a basketball game. His normal site is home, but he's at a basketball game tonight in Atlanta, and he'll be at the end from uh, there. Frank Carroll is our executive producer, and he's in Brandon. And Frank, how about if we uh, touch on uh, any, de- any uh, dedications tonight or anything like that before we start the show?
2: Yeah, then uh, It's not, uh, not a very nice time when we started the show to dedicate it to uh, someone passing. But unfortunately, two members of the uh, Georgia football team uh, lost their lives after the parade uh, on, uh, I guess it was Sunday or Monday. Uh, we want to send our very deepest sympathies out to the uh, Georgia Bulldogs, their team, their coaches, and to the, both both families. We also want to uh, send well wishes out to Mrs. Uh, uh, Burnett Arquette. Uh Burnett is the uh, mother of two of our uh, co-hosts on Saturday night. Uh, she's having a, a very rough time at St. Francis Hospital in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, so if anybody's listening, uh, could you please just send her a, 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 a card if you can? Uh, and if not, please keep her in your prayer.
3: Hey, listen, uh, Frank and, and um, uh, Don, uh, I got a, a email or a text a little while ago from Tom LeMaine. The passing of Chris Ford, his classmate from Holy Spirit mm-hmm. High School and, of course, a great player at, uh, at Villanova. And that was a shock. I had no idea that Chris Ford was sick. But, uh, yeah, Tom just reported a little while ago he found out he passed away. Sad news. Mm-hmm.
2: Very sad news.
1: All right, Roger. We've got we to gotta quiet those fans behind you down a little bit because they're sort of overpowering Frank and they were overpowering you. But let's uh, go right down to Tampa, Florida because – I don't think anybody was really surprised they were disappointed they had high expectations that maybe you know, Tom Brady could somehow pull a miracle and, and get by the Dallas Cowboys uh, and it turned out to be one of their poorest games of the season but Roy you were there you firsthand. to uh, give us some of your impressions and where do we go from here?
0: Yeah, it was a lot. Uh, it was a game a lot like uh, many of many others that the Bucks have played this year. Uh, you know, uh, Tom Brady couldn't connect with uh, Mike Evans consistently. Well, you know, well, just, uh, Roger,
1: you gotta you gotta quiet those kids down or get get away uh, because yeah, it's I, drowning I, out.
0: Just, I, I'm gonna move. Don't worry.
1: Okay. All right. Go ahead, Roy.
0: Yeah, I was saying it was uh, it was a game you know like many others that the Bucks have played this year, and uh, you know, a game where. Tom Brady wasn't protected very well. He couldn't connect with Mike Evans consistently, if at all. Um, they couldn't run the ball or chose not to run the ball, uh, threw it 56 times, uh, defense failed to take the ball away. Um, you know, you add all that up and it's, it's hard to win a football game. And, uh, that's exactly what we saw. And again, you know, this is kind of the, been the story of the Buccaneers all season long. This is what they've, uh, this is what they've done. And, uh, this is how they've played, and it's not, uh, it's not a winning brand of football. Um, I'm not surprised at what happened. I mean, I, I think I told you guys last week uh, that I could see, you know, a couple of scenarios playing out. I could see a scenario where the Bucks, uh, you know, found their, uh, found their groove and uh, were able to win consistently for a few weeks and get to the Super Bowl, and I could see them getting knocked out in an embarrassing fashion Uh, in the first round, and that is what happened. I'm not surprised by that. I wouldn't have been surprised if it had gone the other way because, again, you look at the talent, uh, there's plenty of it. So, uh, uh, to me, it's a real disappointing season for the Buccaneers. I I think uh, changes are coming as a result of it. I'll be shocked if they don't uh, at some of the highest levels, and obviously one of those changes could be Tom Brady. Um, I think if the Bucs want to retain Tom Brady, I, I think the best thing to do, would be to uh, fire Todd Bowles and go out and get uh, Sean Payton as your head coach. I don't know if that's, you know, in their thought process. Something you got to keep in mind here is that uh, Bruce Arians is still kind of running the football into things here, along with Jason White. And Bruce Arians believes highly in uh, Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich. And I, I don't think he would be in favor of uh, of removing either one uh, despite the fact that uh, this team achieve, underachieved at a horrible fashion this year um, so you know it's hard to know what's at, what's coming next but um, Sean Payton is out there I think we know that Tom Brady has a has a strong desire to play for him at some point and, you know that may be um, where Tom Brady is headed I, I, I'd be a little bit surprised if Tom Brady gives it up now I mean he you know, in one regard, I mean, he lost his marriage because he wanted to keep playing football. Um, I'd be a little surprised if he, just a year later he decides he's not going to play anymore. That, um, he could have saved his marriage possibly if he had decided that a year ago. And uh, So we'll see where it goes, guys. But uh, not surprised at the Bucs' uh, departure so early and not surprised that they departed in a way that's, uh, you know, kind of shameful, really.
1: You just uh, outlined, and I agree with most of what you said. Uh, I don't think the uh, the organization can wait, as they did last year, uh, until Tom Brady makes a decision. I think they have to sort of prod him along and see if he's going to play. And If he's not, you're going into the draft, uh, you're going into the uh, the training periods. Uh, I don't think you can wait till almost training camp and decide whether Tom Brady is going to play or whether he's not going to play. That's my opinion.
0: No, I totally agree with you, but you know, I, I think the Bucks may have no choice. Uh, well, well, first of all, they, they will they will have a choice because you know Tom Brady is going to be a free agent. That's and right. So they've got to prepare for that. And, and I think at some point Tom Brady will let them know, you know, what what his, you know, what what it is that's going to allow you know require him to to come back, and what the Bucks need to do if they want him to be part of the team, or whether he's going to play football or not. I would think the Bucks would be the first team to know. If, he, if he's going to retire, they're going to find out pretty quickly. Um, and if it's one of those things where Tom can't make up his mind, um, you know, again, I, you're kind of in a tough tough spot. But, look, uh, you know, if the Bucks aren't prepared to just, you know, cut ties completely with Brady again, I think the only way to, to keep him around is to go out and get Sean Payton. Now, you know, if they decide early enough that they, you know, go get, you know, David Carr or something like that, um, you know, that's, that's obviously a, an option. Um, they could draft a quarterback again, but uh, they just did a couple of years ago, so I don't think that's really, uh, you know, part of the game plan. So it, it, they're, they're kind of in a tough spot, guys. It's, uh, it'll be an interesting offseason. Uh, you know, the number one thing, I mean, again, it's a domino effect, and the, number, the first domino that has to fall is Tom Brady. He's got to tell everybody what he's doing and where, you know, what his plans are. And the Bucks can, uh, you know, respond in, in kind.
1: Well, I think even before that, uh, your opening statement uh, is very, very true. I think they have to make a decision. Uh, are they going to just let the offense coordinator fall? Uh, are they going to change head coaches? Uh, those decisions, I would think, would have to be made before uh, Brady even decides what he's going to do. Uh, very disappointed. Uh, I followed the, the career of uh, Bowles all the way through. And his defense has always been so good and so strong. Uh, however, uh, it was really put to shame on Monday night. They just they couldn't cover anybody. Uh, they couldn't get any pressure on the quarterback. Uh, they were in a very, very desperate position. The first two uh, possessions by both teams, in and out so quickly, almost within a minute and a half, you went through the first four and the second four. There was nothing there, but after that, you know, the the defense just never played.
0: No, you're right. Uh, it, I mean, it seemed like it was a uh, kind of a, a faulty game plan to begin with, and uh, and then uh, you know some some holes in the defense were clearly exposed. Uh, sure. Look, they don't have they don't have a, a very good pass rush, and if they blitz, uh, there's a real good chance that they're going to get beat in the secondary. So. You know, it's a deep secondary. It's a talented secondary. But look, if if, if you're blitzing, uh, you're going to leave somebody uh, somebody open. And Dak Prescott did a good job of finding that guy. And you know, for whatever reason, the Bucks decided <laughs> they were going to ignore the tight end in this game. So you know, that didn't help. Um, so again, I, there are a lot of factors involved. I mean, it's, it's again, it's been that way all season long. I mean, you know, it's not like this team. You know, they, they didn't have a guy get more than four, five and a half sacks this year. So. It, it It wasn't a great pass rush team they had to they had to uh uh they had, they had to you know lean on the on the blitz to to get to the passer and you know it's a team that's been lauded for its ability to stop the run at times but again i, I think those numbers are skewed a little bit because most teams end up you know spending, most teams end up having to to pass against the bucks in order to catch up i um, mean that that happens often too so Uh, it's easy to say that they're a decent running team, but, you know, there were times when obviously they couldn't stop the run effectively either. So um, I I think, I mean, you could be looking at a complete overhaul with this team, but again, you're right. The the number one decision has got to be, what are you doing at the head coaching spot? And, and I think, uh, you know, I think it's going to be, be important for the bucks to come out and explain that, you know, rather soon, Uh, you know, teams are already starting to make plans and, Free agents are starting to, you know, talk to other teams. So, uh, if if you want to be, you know, if you're going to make a big change, you got to let people know pretty, pretty soon. Or even if you're just, you know, you're saying, okay, we're, we're going to maintain the status quo here. You got to let people know because uh, a a lot's going to come from those decisions. Uh, Those decisions will impact a lot in terms of uh, who wants to come here and who wants to play for the Buccaneers going forward.
1: Thank Frank, you. uh, uh, you've been a coach, long-time coach, here. and you've been director of this program and, and uh, for a long period of time as well. Uh, some of your thoughts about Monday's game before we switch gears and go to the other playoff games.
2: Well, uh, first of all, Brian Leftwich was fired uh, this afternoon by the Bucks. Oh. Um, I thought oh. it was a oh, miserable okay. – yes. It was just, uh, just okay. released, Roy. Okay. Um, all right. It well, was a miserable game. It, 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 what I saw was a team that was totally uh, incompatible with each other out on the field. Uh, there was no blocking. There was no, uh, and it's not because the the uh, Cowboys were uh, were such a good team because we know that they're they're a mediocre team at best. Uh, they just had a good night. Uh, the secondary uh, for the for the Bucks fell apart uh, right after the first uh, the first long pass. Uh, they they just couldn't find themselves. Uh, it was uh, it was very tough to watch. I I turned it off at halftime and said, "Well, I never win." Hey Don,
3: well, guys, I can, say I that ju- if- can I ju- Don, Can I jump in here? Okay. Yeah, I left yeah, the go gym. Ahead. Okay. You cannot. You cannot have ki- try to calm kids down. Okay. So I left the gym. But anyway, here's what I my feeling is. I think Tom Brady doesn't give a damn about anybody but Tom Brady. He doesn't care about marriages. Doesn't care about anything. It's all about him. I have no time for him. I think his days should be, you know, he should pack it in. Should have packed it in last year. And I'll tell you what, Roy, I don't see Sean Payton coming to a team that's got Tom Brady where he's only going to have him for a year or so. I think he wants to go to a team that has a quarterback, and if the Cowboys had trouble – and if Mike McCarthy was going to be let go, in my opinion, that's where Sean Payton would have wound up. What are, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, since, since Byron Leftwich has been let go and Todd Bowles has not, that tells me that they're going to stick with Todd Bowles and, uh, and Byron Leftwich is, is the sacrificial lamb here. So, um, you know, there may be some other moves within the staff and, and uh, that may be warranted as well. Um, but it would seem to me that the, the, the game plan now is to stick with Todd Bowles and move forward with him and try to find a, uh, a better offensive coordinator. Uh, that won't be hard to do. Certainly it won't be hard to find one who's more experienced. Um, but whether it's one that uh, uh, makes Tom Brady happy and want to stick around, um, we'll see. Uh, but, again, the Bucks have a decision to make, uh, not just an offensive coordinator, but obviously at uh, – at the quarterback position, and um, you know this this obviously will <laughs> uh, impact that decision a lot. So we'll see where, where they're headed going forward. Um, I, I you know I, I thought Tom Brady had a pretty decent relationship with Byron Leftwich. I mean that's that's the impression we've gotten, um, but obviously it wasn't working. And, and look, I'm not sure that you know. Yeah, okay, I understand Byron Byron Leftwich, and I'm not defending him, but this team. Was impacted immensely by the fact that it, it lost a Pro Bowl guard, it had an All Pro center that didn't play until the playoffs, uh, it had a right guard who clearly is uh, passed his best years, uh, left to, you know, and it lost a tight end who who whose impact as a as a pass protector and, and just a you know what he did for the offensive line as well, in Rob Gronkowski uh, was wasn't realized until he was gone. Um, you know you spend all season with your left tackle out there on an island uh, he's going to get beat sometimes and uh, you know it's not uh, not Byron left which is fault necessarily that uh, that uh, that uh, Donovan Smith had a, had a had a horrible season so um, you know it's uh, I think it's a move that had to be made whether it makes them any better that clearly remains to be seen because again you've got to wait and see what they've got in terms of, uh, of players again Talent-wise, this was the same team as, as that won a Super Bowl, uh, except for the up front on the offensive line. And, and that was a big difference. And the players. Well, righty, uh,
1: we're going to have, we're gonna have uh, the voice of the Eagles 42 years behind the mic. Martin is going to join us, not the next half hour, but the following half hour. Uh, but uh, just a, a thought from you uh, on the Eagles and the Giants, and, of course, uh, same thing from Roger. Go ahead. start with you, Roy.
0: Yeah, obviously a great game. I mean, the NFC East became a, a, a power comp, a power division again uh, this year. Three teams from the East uh, in the playoffs. I don't think anybody really saw that coming at the at the beginning of the year, but um, that's the way it worked out. And uh, I think any one of them is capable of actually getting to the Super Bowl. Uh, obviously, you put the Eagles at the top of that list. Uh, I think most people would uh, expect them to end up uh, facing San Francisco in the title game, but. Uh, a lot can happen. So, look, the Giants gave, uh, obviously, uh, you know, with a big upset there. Um, you know, if if Jalen Hurts isn't 100%, uh, the Eagles are somewhat vulnerable. But uh, I off, think they're strong enough. He's off
3: the enough. medical list, Roy. He
0: was, he's yeah, not even right. listed there. He, he can be off the medical list. And, like I said, if he's not 100%, it'll take one hit for him to be back on the medical list, guys. So, uh, mm-hmm. look, I think the Eagles are the, are the better team. Um, you know, I think uh, there's not much the U team can, can show each other that's different here. Uh, so it pretty much comes down to, you know, who's got the better, uh, who's, who's putting the better team on the field. And I think that's Philadelphia. And uh, I think they'll probably win rather handily. Um, but uh, you never know. Uh, obviously, in the East this year, guys, uh, anything can happen. Wouldn't surprise me at all if the Giants, uh, you know, pulled off an upset. But I don't see it happening.
1: Roger, they were the number one team all during the season uh, until their quarterback got hurt. Uh, He was also almost a shoe-win for MVP as they went along during the course of the season. And now he's been bumped up a little bit, although he got the vacation week. And I said we'll talk tomorrow about that. But uh, some of your comments before we jump to one of the other games.
3: Well, I'll be honest, I'm worried about the Giants. And, uh, you know, some people uh, are, some people aren't. The point spread is uh, definitely in favor of the Eagles. Uh, you know, they talk about the Giants were on a good run. The Giants were not on a good run. They were 3-5-1 and one in their last nine games. That's not a good run. Uh, the Eagles, uh, they had to win that game. They should have beaten the Saints. That was a disgrace and uh you know hopefully it was a wake up call uh, i think that the the uh, the eagles uh, will win i do uh, i but i am concerned uh, the other thing is i am hoping i'm on a, you know more than hoping that the cowboys believe it or not they bury the 49ers uh, i'm not a fan of uh, i've never been a fan of Kyle Shanahan Shanahan uh, i blame him uh in mass For the loss of the uh, Super Bowl by the Falcons, he was the offensive coordinator. Dan Quinn was the head coach. However, he was doing the defense. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I want want the – I'm not a Cowboys fan, but I can't stand the 49ers. I never have. And uh, that's what I'm hoping because I want to tell you, you get a match for the NFC championship between the Eagles and the Cowboys – That'll give you numbers. The TV network. I mean, it'll really, it'll be fantastic.
1: Well, I don't mean to disagree with you, but I think 49ers are the second best team uh, playing in the playoffs. To be honest with you, hey, even I think I picked them over the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, I'm gonna go uh, go to Roy and get some of his thoughts. Uh, I'm a 49er fan. I think they've done a great job, and I think. Lynch has done a magnificent job since he's been general manager out there. Roy?
0: Yeah, look, I I understand where Roger's coming from. uh, But at the same time, you know, look, uh, I think John Lynch has done an exceptional job building a a team there. And and here's the other thing, guys, the most underdrafted quarterback in a generation, the most underdrafted quarterback since Tom Brady uh, has become a star right before our eyes. Uh, right and how can you? It's, for me, it's it's hard not to root for that kid uh, to continue that run uh, that he's on. So, uh, kind of pulling for the 49ers there a lot, really myself. But um, and, I, and I do think they are the. I personally think they are by far the best team in the in the NFC. But uh, I would love to see him up against the Eagles in the in the uh, in the championship game. But Rogers got a good point. If the Eagles face Dallas in the championship game. Or if, it, if it's the Giants and Dallas, the Giants and, you know, whoever. Uh, look, the, the, you don't have to worry about what the numbers are. They're going to get the numbers. They're, it's going to be the number one uh, show on TV, uh, you know, for the year. Uh, Absolutely. Except for the Super Bowl, uh, no matter what. And um, it'll it'll probably edge out the AFC uh, game a little bit. But uh, uh, as far as uh, the best matchup, uh, you know, yeah, it's... Eagles against the, the 49ers would probably be the best, but certainly there would be lots of intrigue if it's Dallas and, uh, and Philadelphia or, or the Giants and,
1: and Philadelphia.
0: Well, it won't be the Giants Roger,
1: Roger 7.5 at the league.
3: Yeah, well, here's the other thing. I do believe, didn't the Eagles beat the 49ers during the season? Earlier in the season. I think they did, didn't they? The, uh, I, don't I, don't the I don't remember i don't remember I don't have the schedule there. in front of me but I'm pretty sure that that was the case and uh you know it's just a personal thing I listen I agree with what he's done with the 49ers and i'm a I'm a real fan but i just uh I'm tired of hearing all this stuff about how great they are and uh you know the, the so the Eagles lost a couple of games uh, they they sure. were considered the best team in the in the uh, NFC. Uh, and then they lost a couple of games, but other teams lose a couple of games too. And uh, you know, I I, I think the Forty ers I mean, that was a ridiculous uh, uh, matchup with Seattle. They were lucky to be in the playoffs, really. And like
1: Do you like the Eagles at seven and a half?
3: No, I. But I I like them at five. <laughs> okay. How about you? <laughs> Well, good luck hitting that five. No, you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Well, the look, other, the other one I want to, to talk about, I know you 20 do. 20. You do too,
1: Roger. And and uh, and that's that's the game that uh, that we saw Peterson coach from 27 points down at halftime. I'll tell you, I I I almost turned the game off. I I almost said, look, that's enough. I'm going to bed. But I listened to Peterson in his interview going off the field, and he gave me a little bit of an encouragement that he wasn't as upset as I he thought he would be. He was very, very good with the so interviewer at halftime. I don't know whether you, saw it, you saw it or not, Roy, but oh, yeah. I was I can some comeback, and what a job they did.
3: Well, I watched that well, yeah. whole game. You and I talked about it, and uh, I'll tell you what, it just goes to show you sure. what a quarterback uh, Tyler Lawrence is. And, uh, I, I mean, you know, it just it ma- made all those mistakes. <laughs> I mean, was written off, and here, you know, they, they win the game. But I'm so happy for Doug Peterson because, the, you know, I think he got screwed by the Eagles. And, uh, you know, here he is bringing the team back, uh, not only zero. in that game, but just
0: to be zero in the eight, playoffs. Two. I would say good oh, over that. Now, I would say ditto to that. Uh, Roger, you're right. Uh, okay. Doug Peterson is a, you know, look, I, I think he, I think he got screwed by the Eagles as well.
3: Uh, okay.
0: and, uh, I think he's doing a good, a really, really good job obviously with Jacksonville and he's got a quarterback who, uh, who doesn't really get flustered. I mean, let's face it. A lot of quarterbacks, uh, you, you throw four picks, especially in one half. Uh, first of all, if you're, if you're not benched, uh, you're in your own head and it's, it's hard to come back from that. But, uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, showed that he is uh, he's he's above all that, and uh, I would say that uh, going forward, uh, Jacksonville can't not can't count him out of any game that they're in, no matter what the score is.
1: No, you know, Roy. No, I I, know I, I may be you know, I may be losing a little bit, but I got to be honest with you. I, I can't remember the last time I saw a quarterback throw four picks in a half. Well, it's never happened. Yeah, you know, even less than a half, because he scored just before the half. He you know he got him to twenty-seven to seven with, what, 10 seconds or eight seconds to go. So he scored a touchdown after throwing four interceptions, and then winning the game in the second half. But I, I have to very honestly tell you, I can't remember a quarterback I've seen that threw four interceptions in the in the first half.
0: No, that, I uh, Don, it's never happened in the playoffs. That was a first. And so, so I mean, he, he set a record there. <laughs> and then – I think he set another couple of records, uh, bringing the team back and, uh, and winning. So. Right. Uh, but it's the first time it's ever happened in the playoffs.
1: Well, before we well, jump to something else, uh, how about the, uh, the Chiefs? What do we think about the Chiefs and the Jaguars?
0: Well, uh, look, obviously I think Jacksonville can give them a game. Um, people are taking – although I'll say this, Jacksonville may have – surprised uh, some people last week, but they won't surprise the Chiefs. They'll be ready for it. Right. But you know what? As we pointed out here in the show, guys, Doug Peterson is one hell of a coach, and he'll have his team ready as well. So uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a real good matchup, um, you know, better than what you would think or consider it to be on paper uh, way back at the beginning of the year. But uh, right now, just with the way the uh, the Jaguars have been playing over the course of the last two months, uh you got to say that they've got a chance in that game uh, not a great chance slim chance but but still uh i'm saying there's a chance well you know Roy, Roger. what
3: it is and don you know you got to remember it's now the uh, the captain and again uh, with the, the lieutenant coming after him because Doug Peterson is from the Andy Reid tree and was the offensive coordinator of the chiefs before he went to the eagles and was the uh, backup quarterback for the Packers, uh, you know, when Andy was there as the uh, what quarterbacks coach, and uh, or whatever it was, and the uh, and then he, he brought him to Philadelphia when they got Donovan McNabb, <laughs> and Doug Peterson was the quarterback for at least part of the first year that Andy Reid was the coach. I think this is a great coaching matchup.
1: Yeah, I would agree don't with you that. There at all. Well, let's switch gears a little bit because uh, we we'll are finally get into what I consider the basketball season and the hockey season. I don't re- really think they get underway at the last of the new year. But right. Brandon Point has really put on a show in the last seven or eight games. Uh, Roy, uh, the Lightning, uh, maybe, I mean, uh, I, I, it's hard to say MVP, MVP, but holy smokes, some of the plays he's made in the last seven games are unbelievable.
0: And who, who did you mention, Don? I didn't hear it. Point. Oh, yeah, well, he's, you know, you know he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's an underrated superstar. In fact, he probably isn't even considered a superstar in this league, which is kind of surprising. I mean, the Lightning don't get a lot of ink um, for whatever reason, despite the fact that, uh, you know, they're one of the three best teams in the NHL over the course of the last five, six, maybe ten years even. Um, they don't get a lot of press. And so outside of Steven Stamkos and, you know, Vasilevsky, you know, gets some, some notoriety here and there, even though he's easily the best goalie in the league. Um, the other players don't get much ink, and uh, Braden Point is one of them. But I'll tell you what, he's as good as any player there is in the league. And, uh, yes, he's, he's exceptional, guys. He is absolutely exceptional. And, you know, the Lightning are just kind of hanging in there right now. Right now, uh, sixth or seventh in the... Uh, in the conference, you know, but I don't think they're going to get caught. I, I they'll make the playoffs. Uh, they could be near the bottom, you know, it could be could be six, seven, eight at the end of the day. And they don't want to have to face Boston. Nobody wants that, uh, and they don't really want to face Toronto either. But um, look, this is a team that's battle tested. They know exactly how to win in the playoffs. Um, I think they've, uh, you know, they've they've got the the grit and the grind that you need to have to win in the playoffs. There, uh, you'll. I won't be surprised at all if you see him. Uh, you know, situation right up now. I know you talked bit. to Tom
1: LeMain earlier today, and uh, yeah. Tom, of course, covers the Flyers for us in Philadelphia. Works uh, in the broadcast booth down in Philadelphia, and uh, I really thought with the change in coaching uh, that they were going to be a much more competitive. Right now, they're still struggling as they did last year and the year before. Roger.
3: Well, I think that they are more competitive. Don, they ninth. The last I saw, that I guess yesterday, what was it, nineteen, nineteen, and seven, and they were about uh, six, seven, eight games under five hundred. They've made up that gap, and I think that now uh, after the All Star game, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how they go. I mean, I, the, uh, Roy, I agree. I mean, you got Boston, Toronto. I mean, I don't know. If I I pick Boston to win the the Stanley Cup, to be honest with you. You know, I had to make a pick now. But uh, I really think that he's done a a, a good job. He got off to a good start, then they uh, slowed down. uh, But now they've had a a pretty good run in the uh, last uh, ten games.
1: Well, they needed to (laughs) make a good run to get some spectators back into the arena. (laughs) Well, they do.
3: Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that.
1: One of the the, uh, outstanding clubs in the National Hockey League over the last 35 years and boy, they uh, went from seventeen seven oh seven in the old building to uh, lucky to have five or eight thousand there at the end of the last season. So uh, you know, it's, it's imperative for that club to to improve. And Roy, uh, the uh, the Islanders, uh, we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, they sort of in the same situation. They're sort of right there in the middle, trying to make a move, not make a move. Uh, who do you like as we go along?
0: Well. Uh it's hard not to like Boston. Um, look, I, I, the Islanders, I think are, are going to fall short. I, they just don't seem to have the ability to score consistently. They play a, a very defensive style, which is fine. Um, but, uh, at the end of the day, you got to be able to put the puck in the net and, uh, they just, they're just lacking there a little bit. I think, um, you know, I, it's funny. I, I almost like their, their fourth line more than I like their first and second line, but, um, and I think that's a bit of an issue. So, uh, you know, but I, I think the Rangers are the team to watch. Devils are a team to watch, obviously. I, I think the Islanders are going to fall a little short. I really do. So, guys, I'll leave How you with Toronto? that. How about Toronto? I appreciate uh, you having me on. Oh, well, Toronto. Well, they're going to be there, obviously. Boston and Toronto will be there. But I'm talking about the teams, you know, in the bottom of the pack. and Oh, okay. Pack. Yeah. Uh, you know, Philadelphia will miss. Islanders will probably miss. Um, but uh, it'll be a it'll be a very good uh, playoff, that's for sure, guys. Roger. Roy, well, now
3: Roy was saying, you know, about uh, yeah, it has to have dinner, you know. So, uh, but Roy, uh, you know, we thank the world, thank you so much, and uh, uh, you know, uh, only time will tell. You know, we'll know uh, after the All Star Game, I guess, how things are starting to uh, fall into place in the National Hockey League.
1: Well, once again, Roy, thank you very much for the first half hour. And, of course, we'll all sit back down and see what the Bucks decide to do uh, as they go forward. And hopefully, uh, if Todd Bowles does come back, the same thing doesn't happen with the Bucks That happened with the Jets. Uh, they get into the playoffs this first year, and then it went straight downhill. So, hopefully, uh, that will not be a part of what happens with the Jets. They make some good drafts. Everybody, uh, they come up with the right people as offensive coordinator, and they move forward. But, Roy, thank you very, very much. We'll get into it next week once again.
3: Have a great week, Roy.
1: Okay. Steve Gonzalez with us right now. And, uh, Steve, normally we talk about a number of baseball items. You're a statistical genius. Uh, but I like to start <laughs> off with something we don't normally, and that's the Rays. Uh, they did not do much of anything. And you see almost every one of their games during the course of the season. Uh, they did not do much of anything uh, during the uh, the free agent period. Uh, some of your observations about where they are and where they're going.
4: I had nothing new for the Rays. Most, if you look at their historical uh, record of how they move in the off season, most of the trades and free agent stuff is mid January uh, to the end of February, and that's pretty normal for the Rays. And they're a very successful organization. though so I would just follow the same blueprint now when the when the off season began i laid out my rays off season plan and that was starting pitching high end right handed power relievers and then a few bats near near camp that was my right. my pattern because to me if you can't pitch and you don't have depth in the bullpen in the rotation you're dead i don't care about i've never cared about offense i don't you know i i've told you guys before offense to me is is nice to have and you can build it and you know you'll eventually need it but if you want to win in baseball defense and pitching are still the way to go so they uh you know the Rays did go out there and they picked up Eflin to be another starter and they needed that they needed a fifth starter because their rotation if people are watching you know they're getting Tyler Glass now back from Tommy John surgery even though he did come back last year but you know he, he missed almost a year. They've got, uh, you know, Shane McClanahan had a shoulder impingement last year. Jeffrey Springs is a converted reliever who was in his first year as a starter. Drew Rasmussen's had two Tommy John surgeries, so you've got to be careful with him. And Corey Kluber hit the free agent market after giving the team 150 or 160 innings last year. And the other starter, Yanni Torinos, is coming back from his own Tommy John surgery and only appeared in a handful of games last year. So the smartest thing the Rays could have done in the offseason was find a starting pitcher uh, to, to deepen the rotation. You know, they still have Luis Patino in the minors, you know, coming up as a prospect. And Yanni Torinos is, you know, still in the organization. But they needed the strength of that starting rotation. Uh, bullpen, you guys in Philadelphia, you've heard me say over and over and over again, you have to have a bullpen. And the Rays, like, you know, they keep collecting arms. You know, they they got a kid in the Rule 5 draft. Today they signed three more veteran relievers, um, all with various degrees of success. And they added another, uh, a fourth reliever, actually, four relievers today of minor league journeymen kind of starting pitcher for Durham for the AAA side. Now they're going to hit the trade market and look at bats. And that's where... The market didn't match up to what the team needs. The team needs a left-handed hitting um, outfielder or infielder, first baseman, and somebody with a few years of control under their belt. Um, that's not gonna, you know, get overpaid. The market overpays everybody. Um, so now the trade market will will open up, and the next time you and I talk, probably see the Rays have a number of moves as they as they solidify their 40-man roster. And then in August and September, we'll look back and say, how do the Rays continue to win? Well, they're very methodical, and they follow a certain plan, and this is just what they always do.
1: Well, they hit less than everybody. Some of their, you know, supposed suppose uh, star players didn't hit quite as well because for a number of things, injuries, of course, their shortstop got hurt and was off the field for a lot. But I'm assuming, and and may be incorrect, but I'm assuming that there's no way they're going to trade their young players. I mean, uh, Meade and Bradley, I think, are off the list. They're not going to make any kind of move with either one of them in order to get a left-handed hitter, uh, outfielder to uh, to give them some offense.
4: Oh, I would never I would never say that they wouldn't trade Taj Bradley or Curtis Meade. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, it depends what the deal is and how it looks. You know, the Rays, people think the Rays, like, hoard their prospects and don't trade them. But yet you see Joe Ryan in Minnesota and Brock Burke in Texas and Nate, and Nate Lowe in Texas and Jake Cronenworth in San Diego. And you see the Rays giving up, you know, a top 50 prospect and Matthew Libitor to the Cardinals to get Randy or Arena who wasn't even ranked as a prospect. You know, I can go on. There's more and more players that the Rays have given up as prospects to bring in veteran or to bring in help of established major leaguers. They've done it repeatedly. Uh, so to say that they wouldn't give up a Curtis Mead or they wouldn't give up a Taj Bradley, um, it's kind of like it, it doesn't match with what the Braves do. They value everybody a certain way, you know, and if if Curtis Mead could fill a need on the big league club, somebody who's cost-controlled for a number of years, not, not so much cost control, but, you know, has value in terms that they'll be here three or four years, then certainly – uh, the Rays would be more more likely to listen than not. For instance, and this is not a trade that's going to happen. It's not a rumor. I'm just going to give you an example. If the if the Los Angeles Angels said we'll give you Taylor Ward, um, you give us Curtis Mead, um, and then maybe something else, that deal would probably be done immediately. Kurt, uh, Taylor Ward's a very good hitting outfielder, He's got three or four years of service left before he hits free agency. He's young, and he fits what the Rays would be looking for. And in that case, the Rays would give up Curtis Mead. Now, if you're, if you're thinking that the Rays would say, okay, the Detroit Tigers want to trade Austin Meadows back to the Tampa Bay Rays, he has two years of control, we want Curtis Mead, well, that's not going to happen. So you've got to keep it all relative to uh, what the Rays are trying to accomplish long-term. They always look at the big picture, not the, not the, the micro picture. The only time they looked at a micro picture with trading Joe Ryan for the rental of Nelson Cruz. Probably not a smart move, but everybody wants you to go for it when you're close, and they felt they were a bat away, and it didn't work out for them.
1: Roger, you probably going to go in a different direction, but go to it.
3: Yeah, well, the, uh, I agree about the rates. I mean, they, they have impressed me for many years about the, the way that they are methodically operate and have a vision. And, you know, like you said, Steve, it's not a narrow uh, division, uh, not narrow vision. It's a wide-angle vision. And I wanted to talk to you about your, I wanted your opinion about the Phillies move. Uh, You were talking about the uh, Rays' bullpen needs. And how about the, uh, what the Phillies have done uh, in
4: free agency in the bullpen? What's your opinion about that? Uh, You know, I love it, by the way. I mean, I absolutely love all the moves that the Phillies have made uh in the off season most importantly is is not taking the the foot off the bullpen and, and and making sure they have depth um back there um one Dombrowski took over uh the first team he mentioned was the, was the Rays when mm-hmm. it came as to, comes to relievers. He said, you know, somehow we have to find a way to find the under the hood talent um like the Tampa Bay Rays with their bullpen you know, um, and they've committed to it. And Sam Fold, you know, he was with the Rays. um, Mm -hmm. He understands. uh, And you can't do it, you know, what's impressive is you can't do it just by saying we're going to spend money on the bullpen. That's not all what it is. You have to go out there and scout and and get people that your fan base and, and the writers may say, well, what's this guy doing here? But once you get that system in place where you can bring somebody in and kind of maybe the guy has a live arm, a cutter, a different delivery point. You know, Buck Showalter – yeah, Buck Showalter in Baltimore came up with the idea of having multiple looks in your bullpen. That was kind of his brainchild back with Baltimore when he had all those guys that had different release points. And the Rays have kind of carried it on. And now the Phillies are kind of getting there where every reliever looks different, you know. Uh, You know – Guys from from you know former Ray Andrew Bellotti out of nowhere. That's a good example of somebody you brought in that did very well last year. Kind of you know the last couple of years kind of out of nowhere, and then you've got your you know you got your guys uh, that are supposed to perform. So uh, it, it, it's very impressive. You don't want to be caught short in the bullpen. I don't think I have to sell you Philly guys on what a bull, what the bullpen means to a win loss record.
1: How about the Mets? Uh, let's uh, look, take a look at them. You're an analytics man, and uh, the Mets have certainly gone in a lot of different directions. A lot of it's been very positive. Some of it's been sort of in the middle, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Your observation on the Mets?
4: Well, they're going to, you know, what gets lost with the Mets, they won 100 games last year. And if you're going to Vegas and you said with all these moves, are you going to put money that they're going to win more than last year or less than last year? It'd be hard for me to put on more than last year in the regular season. We, I'll start there. But right. what they're doing is they are building up a nice safety net. And by that, they're, you know, by getting Jose Quintana and, uh, you know, and, and Justin Verlander in the rotation, you know, all those guys in the rotation. And um, still now they have in the upper levels, they have a few guys that have actually been in a rotation at the big league level. So they're building up depth there. And I, I bring up building up depth in the minor leagues because that's kind of what Steve Cohen said. You know, he wants to build up the farm system while he has this great team. Kind of what the Dodgers did back when Andrew Friedman took over. They already had a good start on the farm, but, you know, the Mets want to build a great farm system while having a great product on the field. And they're building up depth at the minor league level, which is getting up to the, uh, which is getting closer to the big leagues. And to tie this all in, the Mets' biggest worry is they are aging in a few areas where injury could hurt them, and the rotation is where I'm pointing to. You know, uh, Quintana's not young, Verlander's not young, and, and Scherzer's not young. You know, so you, you got that's the one thing that'll be their downfall. But I don't know how you guys feel, but 101 wins, if you use that as an over-under, regardless of all the moves the Mets have made, um, I don't know if I could go on the over I will say, the most exciting signing of the off season to me, this is a personal thing, was Tommy Pham in the Mets. Uh, Tommy Pham and Buck Showalter together would be the price would be worth the price of admission to be in that locker room. Not that Tommy's a bad guy. Tommy's a great, uh, great teammate. He is a handful to, for the coaching staff. He's a handful to handle. Okay. The players, they all love him. It's, there's no animosity, you know, of Tommy Pham. You know, he's not a diva. He doesn't, doesn't require constant attention in the locker room like some guys I've covered. Um, he's straightforward, but he's a lot to handle for the manager because he, he says what's on his mind. And as you guys know, Buck says what's on his mind. And I'm sure they're going to get along because the two personalities seem to probably understand uh, the end goal of World Series. But to me, that's going to be uh, worth the price of admission if I could get into that locker room and check out that dynamic.
1: Roger.
3: Yeah, Steve. Of all the teams in uh, baseball, uh, what is what uh, team is, in your opinion, did the best job in free
4: agency? Or has well, I was I was actually I was actually thinking about this in terms of short term or long term when you look at like who did well in the short term like which which team is going to benefit from free agency in the next year or two but could have done their team their organization harm in the long run you know that's how I was kind of looking at it in the short mm-hmm. run the padres had a very good off season uh the mets had a very good off season the rangers had a very good off season in terms of adding talent and probably increasing their win totals from a year ago okay um, the Dodgers, peop, the Dodgers are the team that everyone will point to that said didn't do anything. They lost a, a, a you know a ton of players off the roster, but I look at them and say they have a they have a farm system that's ready to be tested, and you you're obligated to at least see what these kids can do at the major league level. Andrew Friedman did it before with the Dodgers with Bellinger uh, Bellinger, Seager, Julio Urias and a few other guys that he brought up from the farm and and put them in positions to succeed while saying goodbye to Zach cranky and, uh, Hanley Ramirez. He's done it before. And I think it is time to do it again. So the Dodgers are another team. I think long-term probably did themselves a favor this off season, kind of taking a step back, which sounds crazy. They'll still have a $200 million opening day payroll. Um, but I, I do believe they, they took a step back. Um, It's the Mets did a beautiful job short term. I mean, they're going to be, you know, competitive. Uh, The Phillies getting Trey Turner. I mean, anytime you can get Trey Turner uh, to buy into your system, to go along with everything else they have, you know, going into last year, I kind of mentioned to you guys, you know, center field and shortstop and second base on Philadelphia were really areas of concern and mid season, they went out and got Brandon Marsh. That takes care of center field. I can put that into an off season type move. They go out and get Trey Turner uh, to play shortstop, and that'll put Stott, I'm guessing, over to second base, much right. better up the, much better up the middle, athletically, um, every way you can imagine. That little triangle right there should help the pitchers out a heck of a lot. Those those moves. Steve Gonzalez been our right. guest
1: here this uh, half hour, and we're talking about baseball, obviously, as we get ready for spring training down here in Florida. But Steve, uh, it's a combination. I think the team that did a very, very good job in signing players prior to the end of the season and then bringing Murphy in to be behind the plate. I think the Braves have done a terrific job from both standpoints, both from the free agent market but also having their players' extended contracts for long periods of time ready to go.
4: Yeah, they have a – I put a tweet out, you know, before Murphy was traded And I basically said, you know, that the two places that, you know, I would expect Murphy to go would be um, Cleveland or St. Louis. And the reason was there was an expectation with his agent that an extension had to happen. Wherever he went, that extension had to happen. Cleveland has the culture of extending everybody, and uh, and so does the Atlanta Braves. So Atlanta, a lot of people don't, maybe don't realize this. They ended up giving up six players for one in that deal. They gave up six players to get Murphy. And, of course, when you give up six players to get three years of a guy, you're going to extend them. And they did, six years plus the option year. So that was, that was brilliant on their part. Uh, a little sidebar, Brian Reynolds is probably the same way. Whatever team trades for him is going to give up a boatload and are going to have to extend them. So if you want to know where Brian Reynolds is going to come out, end up, think of a team that's got resources to extend them out six, seven years, like the Texas Rangers, for instance. New York Yankees are another one uh, that would immediately trade, give up the farm to get them, and then extend them. But I'll go back to the uh, – uh, I can go back to looking at the Braves. Uh, the Braves run beautifully. You know, they uh, when they lost Freddie Freeman, they jumped, you know, they they had an idea they were going to lose Freddie Freeman. They went and got Matt Olson immediately. You know they they had a hole at catcher. You know they have Darnaud, You mean excuse me? They did not have a big hole at catcher. They had Travis Darnaud, They had a couple other guys, I think, um, under contract. You know uh, Contreras, not not uh, the brother Contreras, and uh, Darno were a nice catching combination. They kept Darnaud and they picked up Murphy. So now Darnaud can D against lefties if they if they so choose, while Murphy's behind the plate. Uh, but you're right. Very good off season for the Atlanta Braves. That division is going to be something with those top three. Roger.
3: Yeah. The uh, let's switch over uh, to the American League and get back, you know, with the Rays and the competition. What do you think about the Yankees and uh, the Red Sox? Do you think the Red Sox uh, are going to rebound and and uh, be com- more competitive this year, Steve?
4: Yeah, I think the Red Sox will will. Heim Bloom's going to put together a team that's going to compete. You know, now last year, last year, the Red Sox, like many other teams were crushed by injuries. Michael Walker was having a nice year, but missed extended time. I think he only made about 22 starts. Uh, Nate Evaldi was having a great year. He only made about 22 starts. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Sale never really got off the schneid uh, last year. So, they're they're gonna and you know Rich Hill uh, only made about 20 starts uh, for them as well, so they they were kind of decimated by injuries. But you can kind of see a nice little flow coming with you know uh, Tanner Houck and um, sorry uh, Brian Bello possibly getting Chris Sale back. You know uh, they added Kenley Jansen in the bullpen today. They added a nice piece in in uh in Duvall, they extended Devers, which gives a more positive outlook to the team moving forward. Um, you know, they did lose Xander Bogart. I expect them to maybe, and they've lost Trevor Story. So up the middle, they're a little, uh, they're a little loose. You know, maybe they're going to sign Josh Harrison. Uh, Elvis Andrews is somebody that I, I could see them uh, signing. It'll, it'll be an older, more veteran type one through nine. You know, Tristan Costas is a nice, uh, prospect to look at. Jared Duran out in center field is another nice prospect and uh, maybe a return of Bobby Dahlbeck um, unless they trade uh, Bobby Dahlbeck. Uh, so Boston, I think, will be competitive, but their margin of error due to injury and poor performance is very narrow. How you know, about the, is... the Blue Jays? Uh,
1: the Blue Jays, they were sort of threatened last year to really challenge the Yankees and uh... Go you know maybe even take over the first place in the American League East. It never really turned out that way, but they've got a lot of good players on that club.
4: Well, when you start off with Gausman and Manoa one two, you've got a you know Jordan Romano's you know leads a very nice deep bullpen. You know what I what I what I'm impressed by with the um, uh, with the Blue Jays is they went from a team that. I believe, really hurt themselves in the outfield. Edgar Hernandez and Lawrence Gariel Jr. and George Springer abusing his body. Every center fielder in baseball abuses their body, by the way. Um, it's, it's good. To, if you have a good center fielder that can hit, please put them on a corner. Uh, it's just not worth it to have them running around center field. And what they've done this offseason, they basically now have three center fielders patrolling their outfield which is going to make a huge difference. They went and got Kevin Kiermeyer to play center field. They traded for Dalton Varsho, who's a very good defensive outfielder, um, who also carries a bat. And now they put George Springer in right. And I like stuff like that. I like the fact that they got Brandon Belt, who, when healthy, can hit with anybody as their DH, you know, to, to really balance that line about. And they still got the young stars like Guerrero and, um, and Bachet. You know they still and they still have a Gold Glove third baseman, Gold Glove play over third baseman with a pretty good bat in Matt Chapman, uh, a, a exciting catcher in Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen. Either one of them can DH uh, while the other one catches if you so choose. Uh, so it's a very deep team. I, I like a lot of the moves that they made, and I look forward to you know seeing them compete with the Yankees, the Rays, the Orioles, Red Sox, the whole AL East to me. Is going to be fun. If I had to rank it, I still have the Yankees one, the Blue Jays two, uh, the Rays three, uh, Baltimore four, and Boston five. That's where I'm at right now. Roger?
3: Well, that's, uh, that's interesting with uh, Boston uh, down uh, so low. What about uh, – what do you think the, the Angels, with the talent that they have, Steve, uh, uh, can they really make a move in the American League?
4: Well, with the extra playoff team, I, you know, anything's possible. But, you know, I think we talked about the Rays' big hitters having issues. You know, Brandon Lau barely played. Uh, Wander Frankel only played in about 90-some games. Um, Zanito only played in 33 games. You know, he was coming off a year where he had 33 homers. Uh, the Angels, you know, when you look at them, Jarrett Walsh, Walsh tried to fight through injury all year, and, he ended up having thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, so that knocked him out near the end of the year. Um, Mike Trout had another bout with injury. Um, you look at uh, Anthony Rendon again; spent most of the year injured. You know they, that guy hasn't been healthy now in two years. Um, and then you had the, you know, you had you still had Otani, but you know if you have Otani, Trout, Rendon, Taylor Ward, and um, Jarrett Walsh healthy. Uh I love the catcher they picked up from you guys. What's his name? Uh Logan O'Hoop.
3: Oh yeah. He's good.
4: I I like him a lot. I think he's a good, you know, both sides, offense and defense, and I think he's gonna break camp with them um at the big league level. I'll be surprised, I'll be mildly surprised if he doesn't. Um they they have a, they have a deep uh they've they've developed a deep lefty heavy rotation. You know, they went out and got Tyler Anderson from the, I think, uh, from the Dodgers. Uh, they picked right. up him. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Sandoval is one of my favorite under-the-radar arms. Uh, they just need to stay healthy. And if they can stay healthy and, and maybe still a better bet at shortstop, I think there's an opportunity for them to make strides out there, um, you know, um, I don't think Moniak is going to stick in that outfield, and Joe Adell's not going to stick in that outfield out of camp. So those two guys, one of them might be traded to pick up a little bit more bullpen help or starting pitching or just some depth. Uh, that's what I would, be, I would be anticipating, one of those two guys being dealt uh, to pick up a little bit of pitching depth. But I think they can make a move if they stay healthy. The names, the back of the jersey or the back of the baseball card names, and staff of the guys I just brought up would be an imposing
1: lineup. Steve Gonzalez, our guest this half hour. And Steve, uh, you're a statistical guy. Uh, you love those analytics. Uh, the changes in the rules, that's the biggest question for me. The changes mm-hmm. in the rules, the bigger bags, the opportunity to, to keep uh, defensive players in, in positions that they haven't played for a long period of time. How is this going to affect 2023?
4: Yeah, I don't think the banning of the shift is anything that anybody realizes it's not going to make much of an impact. I mean, it, your shortstop, that instead of having your shortstop spend two steps on one side of second base, it'll be two steps on the other side, and he has great range. You know, So the balls that were hit right at the shortstop on the other side of the bag, now he's going to move one or two steps over, and he'll be there. Uh, the play where the, the second baseman goes into short right field, uh, some teams might be creative and diffuse that by putting the left fielder there, you know, and, and play with two outfielders like a team like the Rays with Jose Siri, who's faster than uh, Achita, uh could play left center field and cover the left field line if needed. Um, right. The, so, baseball is baseball. You play your defense where the guys hit it, and that's not going to change, you know. And for every hit that the shift took away, there's going to be a, a dribbler that went the other way that might not be a hit, but uh, the bigger bags is interesting. I watched it in the minors um, and the limiting of throws over to first and the pitch clock. It does make for a more crisp game. You don't even realize it after the first couple of weeks of watching. Um, you guys will all have to get adjusted if you haven't watched the minor league game with the pitch clock and, and these rules, but it goes away. You don't really notice it um, as much and I think it will serve to bring a little bit more stolen bases back in the game, and it also could eliminate that oversliding of the bag for an eighth of a second, because you have more surface contact uh, for a guy to stick. So I think overall the changes will help the game in terms of just trying to have a little bit more action between pitch or you know more quicker pitches and more action on the base pass. and that'll that'll be good.
1: Steve, I want to thank you so much for the half hour. As always, we touched on so many clubs. or so many more we're going to touch on next time you join us. But thank you very, very much. It's always a pleasure. Appreciate everything you add to the show. Thank you.
3: Thank Thank you so much. We learned
1: a lot from you.
3: Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, gentlemen. Thank
1: you. Well, our next guest in the city of Philadelphia is a lucky, lucky city because they have a Philadelphia Eagle announcer in Merrill Reese and I believe Merrill told me the other day, I'm almost sure it was 42 years now, 42 consecutive years. So they're going to honor Dan Baker at the uh, Sportswriters uh, coming up next week. He's been behind the mic in Philadelphia for, for 50. So, Dan Baker for 50 years at, uh, in Philadelphia, Merrill Reese for 42. Merrill, uh, you got a big game coming up. And I know uh, maybe some of the younger fans don't remember, but when the Giants and the Eagles played over the last 40 years, that was always the game of the year.
5: Well, it is one of the games of the year.
1: Don't forget Dallas. And by the way, it's it's, 40, it's 46 on. 46. 46. 46. I'm sorry. I thought you said 42. 46 and 50 for Dan. You're 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 right in the big time.
3: Well,
5: we're we're having a lot of fun. It's it's just as much fun as it ever was and this Saturday night's going to be something.
1: Well, give us a quick overview before we go to the do specifics, What your observation of what you think may or may not happen.
5: Well, you know, I think there are a lot of people here who look at the rosters and look at the fact that the Eagles handled the Giants quite easily the first time they played with Jalen Hurts, and then the last time they played when Jalen was just coming back and played against a bunch of backup Giants, and Jalen really was limited in taking chances running the football. And they say, well, it, it should be an easy one now that Jalen is 100% or close to it. But I'll tell you something. i watched the Giants and what they were able to do against Minnesota, and I think they are a team with momentum. I think they're a team playing very, very well right now. I think their quarterback, Daniel Jones, has improved. I think it's going to be a very competitive game.
3: Roger? Merle, we talked about it earlier. Uh, the uh, I'm looking back – uh, the Giants were, uh, have been what three, five, and one in their last nine, and yes. you know that that game when the the Eagles uh, were able to capture the first seed, uh, I don't think that w- they did. The Giants didn't play you know full house. Let's face it, but right. you know I think the Eagles they weren't themselves either, uh, no. and I think that that Saints game hopefully taught them a lesson because they should have won that game. And But I, you know, I still am worried about the Giants, like you are. Uh, you well, know, I, even I, though, I, you know, it doesn't look that if we shouldn't be.
5: Well, you know, all I say is Buffalo shouldn't have worried about Miami.
6: Yeah.
5: Going to the third-string quarterback. And that was the game to the final seconds. Cincinnati shouldn't have worried about Baltimore without Lamar Jackson. And that was decided when the quarterback had the ball dislodged on a quarterback sneak late in the fourth quarter. There are two games that should have been one-sided and weren't. So while the Eagles are the better team, they are the stronger team from a personnel standpoint, and I do believe they're going to win, I think it's going to be a tough competitive game.
1: Merle, let me ask you this, because the trade as Roger just said about the game uh, you know, down in New Orleans, but... All the way up to, let's say, the 13th game of the season, 12th, 13th game of the season, everybody was writing the Eagles in, oh, this is number one, they're going to coast home, and your quarterback's going to be the MVP of the season. And then you have the injury, and then they have you have a couple of losses, and now everybody's starting to speculate. Is this team as good as it was over the first 13 games of the year?
5: Well, especially the first nine games when they went 9-0. Right. Nine and oh. Right. Um, I, I I think that, that at at some point you lose, but still they had the best record in the history of the franchise. Fourteen and three. Now they never had a seventeen game season before, but they never they never did better than they did this year. And Jalen Hurts Don should be the MVP. No yeah. player has meant more to his team and that includes Patrick Mahomes than Jalen Hurts. And the the, the definition of most valuable player is who has helped his team the most, not who may be the best quarterback or the best player. I don't think anybody has meant more to his team than Jalen Hurts.
1: Roger?
3: Well, I'll tell you, Merle. you know, looking back on the uh, schedule of 22-23, of uh, uh, I'm glad that the Eagles played the uh, Jaguars earlier in the season. <laughs> because I'll tell you what, They've really turned it around, and Doug Peterson is just tremendous. And I, I mentioned earlier, what do you think about this matchup with the Chiefs of the uh, the captain and the lieutenant going against each other as coaches?
5: Well, now I'll tell you one thing. Um, Doug is a very good friend of mine, and I talked to him on Sunday. The Jaguars have done a tremendous job, and Doug may very well uh, be the coach of the year because he's done an amazing job with the franchise. It was absolutely awful before he rescued them this season. But right. I promise you this: had the Jaguars trailed the Eagles twenty-seven to nothing, that
3: never would have happened. The no, Eagles' defense was far too happen. good. You're, absolutely, yeah, you're right.
1: Merle Reese our special guest, and Merle, we talked uh, before the draft last year quite uh, quite a bit on the show. And I thought you brought out a great point. People talked about his arm and how, how effective his arm is going to be. And you pointed out at that time, well, watch what he does if he's on the right side, it's maybe even outside the right hash marks, and he's going to the left side toward the quarter to try to throw a ball into it, how strong his arm actually is. And you were very positive about what you thought. The people that were saying, well, maybe his arm's not strong enough. And you were saying, strong enough? His arm is plenty strong enough.
5: Well, he's got a great arm. He's got a great arm. He's got great athleticism. You know, he is. The, the we were talking about him earlier, and Shane Steichen is the uh, is the Eagles' offensive coordinator, and he said he's a triple a triple threat quarterback. His arm, his legs, and his mind. He is so quick in deciphering what is going on, and reading a defense, and making decisions. That's all part of it, and he really does use his mind. He's very very bright, and he's. See, he's gained a lot. People judge their quarterbacks too quickly. It takes a while to become an accomplished NFL quarterback. Rarely do you have somebody come right in. Even Patrick Mahomes, as great as he is, don't forget, he sat behind Alex Smith for a year before he played. And uh, Trevor Lawrence came in right away, and it was a disaster last season. but, But most of these quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, uh Joe Burrow did very well in his first year but he ended up with a torn ACL and and had and, and the Bengals went uh, the Bengals came back and then last year they got to
3: the Super Bowl but it takes a quarterback time Roger well it it certainly does and uh when they try to rush them today sometimes like you said they pay the price uh the San Francisco situation uh, with this Quarterback who was the last player taken in the draft, Merle. That's an interesting uh, saga or an interesting case there. It is. And Brock Purdy is very, very good. And he has
5: good people around him. He's got, he's got a good cast. And he hasn't seen the lights go, go on yet. At some point, he's going to stand there and he's going to be under pressure. Or he's going to be down two scores with, with a half a game to go. And then we're going to see how he reacts. Um, Don, you you always talked about baseball. Seeing a you know a pitcher has to go around the league first, or a, or a good hitter uh, until they can find out he can't hit the curve. I don't think they have I don't think they have totally scouted Brock Purdy yet. I think we have to reserve judgment on him a little longer before we anoint him the next coming of Aaron Rodgers.
1: Murl, were you at all surprised that uh, the National Football East got three teams into the playoffs and almost got four. Washington just missed uh, the weekend before the last game of the season and uh, most people were very surprised that uh, three teams got in from the NFC East.
5: It's cyclical. You you look around for a while, it used to be the the black and blue division in the NFC North. It's cyclical. That's why they have a draft that goes in um, in reverse order with how you finish so that there is parity. Years ago, Pete Rozelle talked about wanting to have parity in the National Football League. They really do have parity right now. Every now and then, over a decade, you have a team where magic happens, where a Bill Belichick meets Tom Brady, and that team goes on a long run of championships, where a Bill Walsh meets a Joe Montana and a Jerry Rice, and that team dominates for a while. But it happens very, very rarely, and right now it's stronger and the strong start to dissipate unless they have great drafts and it's not always as easy when you're picking deep
3: in the draft. Roger. Well, one thing that the Eagles have is that, uh, uh, that Saints draft pick in the first round plus theirs. But uh, what do you think about that? That's number 10. Am I, I think I'm right. Um, Merrill. I
5: think, yes, yes. I believe that is number 10. I I think they will, they, they will use it if they use it, And it depends. Of course, their own draft is going to be deep in the 20s. Hopefully it's 32. But it's going to be way back there. But at that point, this team will – you never know with Howie Roseman. He could end up trading that pick for additional picks. He may find that there's a player that he covets who he can pick five picks later and that he believes he's still going to be there and go that way. Um, But I I think – if I were to look at this team and talk about directions, I think they've got to look for another offensive lineman because Lane mm-hmm. Johnson is, is sucking it up and playing this week with a torn abdomen. And he said that you know he, he'll play for maybe another year or two. But the, they get old after a while. Jason Kelsey is a great player, great player. But he's he's going to be 35 years old. So I think offensive line, now they do have a replacement for him in their second-round pick this past year, Cameron Jordan. Very good, center out of Nebraska. But still, you've got to keep that offensive line fresh and youthful. Also, they will probably probably lose James Bradbury, who they signed as a free agent this year to pair with Darius Slay. And he's a terrific player, but... Uh, You can't keep everybody. You can't keep – they picked up C.J. Gardner-Johnson this year. He's been great. But, again, it's a one-year deal. Are they able to sign him? You can't sign everybody under the salary cap. But I would think that the most likely draft picks this year will be – and when you talk about the the top one or two – are going to be offensive, line, and secondary.
1: Well, one thing that was consistent uh, back down over the last three years, Everybody was all over Howie. You know, they said, oh, what, what are we doing here? What, who? What's this club doing? It's not moving. It's not moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Boy, he made a lot of moves this year, not only in the draft. But, man, when he got number 11 to catch that ball, I mean, you're talking about some great, great moves he made to put this club in the position it's in right now.
5: Don, I'm going to tell you something. With A.J. Brown, who you just mentioned, and Devontae Smith, They have the best pair of wide receivers in Eagles history, the best pair ever. And you might go back and say, well, Merle, Mike Quick and Harold Carmichael were pretty good. And they were. But don't forget, Mike's first year, he caught 10 balls. And that was just about the end of Harold's Eagles career. He went on after that for a few games the following year to Dallas, and that was the career. So when you're talking about that, they weren't at their prime at the same time. These two right. guys are at their prime. They're they're ascending stars. So I can't think of two that have been any better than these two. Even um, Jeremy Macklin and Deshaun Jackson were pretty good. These two are better.
3: Roger? Merrill, I wanted to ask your opinion about uh, the uh, Georgia players that the Eagles got early, obviously Jordan Davis, and the also the linebacker. And uh, what do you think their future – well, I, I'm – Good future don't get me wrong, but uh did they uh, did they do the job that they were they were expected to do in their rookie campaign? Well, I can give you
5: an ambivalent answer on that Roger yes and no the reason the reason that they did not play a major role this season is because this team turned out to be so so strong up front that. There wasn't any need for them to come up and and play major roles. But they're still great players. That's going to make this team even better next year because as they go into that second year, they're going to play more and more and become bigger contributors. They're both outstanding. They're not the Mm -hmm. least bit unhappy with Jordan Davis. Now, he missed some time with a, uh, a high ankle sprain, and he missed some more time with a concussion. But he's special. And the linebacker you were referring to is N'Kobe Dean, and right. he's done well on special teams. And in the limited time that he's been in as a defensive, uh, as a linebacker, you could see the talent. So he is going to play a major role. No doubt about that. But right now, we're going to play? 46 years
1: behind the mic broadcasting Philadelphia Eagle football. Merle Reese, our special guest this half hour, talking about the upcoming game between the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles at the Link. And Merle, I thought it was very, very nice of them uh, when the record was broken the other day, and as you and I talked about it, uh, and Billy Wurndell and I talked about it as well, 17 games, not 16, but they were very nice uh, to go up to the booth and, uh, and designate uh, Mike Quick up there and yourself and uh, talk about what Mike Quick made to the meant to the Philadelphia Eagles, and I thought it was very nice of them to take that moment to give you two guys a little bit of a tribute.
5: Well, that that was nice, and Mike, uh, Mike deserved it. Mike is a great player, a great friend, and does a wonderful job as our color analyst. Just just terrific. It's a, it's a case of two friends I'm getting together every week and hanging out and watching some exciting NFL football.
3: Roger. Well, I'll tell you, Merle, you've had some great uh, uh, partners with you in the booth, Stan Walters, Bill Berge. We had Bill on last week. Uh, You know, talk about those uh, analysts that you had over the years from the, you know, your first year uh, doing the play-by-play.
5: I'll tell you what.
3: I want you guys,
5: I'll give you each a dollar. I'll part with a dollar. If each one of you can tell me who my first two analysts were. Now, remember, I took over from Charlie Swift the two games to go in the 77th season. So they said, you're doing the game, Sunday, Merrill, the last two games, Giants and Jets. Go get us an analyst. I got an analyst for two games, and then the following year, I got another analyst to work with me for about three years. Who are those analysts? Do even one of boy, you guys want to want a take a guess? at the first two. Boy,
3: oh,
1: boy, I'll tell you. You know, you know I I'll re- tell
3: you. I remember your first game after uh, you know Charlie uh, passed away, and uh, you know that had a i mean, it. You just got thrown into. It. I mean, there was no yeah, doubt about it. I mean, because okay. you were his his analyst, you know?
5: Well, yes, I was. I was for that 77 season. Okay, the guy I got for the last two games, the, the, the last two games of that 77 season, but then the following year he joined Wayne Harden's coaching staff at Temple, was the Hall of Fame defensive back who lived in Philadelphia, Herb Adderley.
1: Wow. Herb I Adderley. Know. Oh, my Woo. God. I did not remember that. The great linebacker no. for Dallas and, of course, Green Bay. Herb Maloney, what a great player.
5: Okay, now I'm going to ask you, who did the color from '79, uh, 78, which was the first full year, through 81 or 82? And I'm going to tell you something, that both of you knew him well. Both of you might have even called him a friend.
6: Well, oh, was George, I don't know that. <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> that? no, he, he, was he was playing. Still playing.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and Bill, right. Bill was playing then too.
5: Yep, yeah, yeah. Bubba was playing. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Jim Barniak.
1: Oh, oh that's my God. Right. Jim Barniak. Right. I knew Jim when he was a writer for the, Trent, the Trentonian, and then of course, it went along from there, and. and uh, uh, Jim passed away, uh, but he was a, an excellent sports writer and, and worked for Prism. And uh, But I yep. would never have remembered that, Merle. No, I'll be right. with you. I
3: remember that now, Merle. Jim Barniak. <laughs> exactly.
5: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Jim was a great guy.
1: How did they select Jim Barniak? I can't. Uh, I really just can't remember how. Did, how did his name come up to be an analyst for well, NFL well, football? Well, he,
5: he wanted to do it. He wanted to do it, and there were quite a few people who applied. And I took them out to Cherry to, uh, to Temple Stadium in the spring, to Cherry and White Day,
3: and it right. was
5: the Varsity Alumni competition. We went up to the booth, and we took a tape recorder, and I did a quarter or at least ten minutes with each of them about. Six or seven candidates, and then we listened to who might fit in the best, and it was clearly Jim Barniak. Wow!
1: How about that?
5: Well, 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 before
1: we let you go, first of all, thank you so much for spending this much time with us. It was terrific, and we'll do it again uh, as we get closer to the Super Bowl and get a little bit of your insight at that time too. And give me a score. Give me a final score for what you think we're going to have this weekend.
5: Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not very good at scores, but uh, how about how about Eagles twenty-eight, Giants twenty-one? Okay. We'll,
3: There's we'll your seven that points, down. Don. Hey Hold Carl, up, yeah. Don was just all over me because I I said I'm not I'm not uh, really confident really with seven, but I'm confident with five, and then they were all over me. What are you talking about five points? Well, I, at seven points, you feel more confident than I do, but I'm, well, you know, I'm confident I, know, the I, win.
5: I Listen, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a tough game, and uh, you know, I, I, I this this game is not a lock. This game will go. This game is not going to allow the Eagles to take starters
1: out and and
5: rest them up for the next week. This game is going to well, take it, everything we have for four
1: quarters. Well, Merrill, as you put it at the top of the show, look what happened you know, in the Ravens game. Look what happened up, up in uh, Buffalo. It's unbelievable. Uh, the, you know, somehow the, line, the numbers don't – it's whether you win or lose. How I many? If it's one point, that's good enough.
5: Right. Yes. I'll take it. I'll
7: take Merle, it. Meryl, thank you nine. so
1: very, very much for okay, hey, hey, hey,
5: Great
1: Rogers, having you with us. Roger, yeah.
7: before we let Merrill go, can I yeah. ask him one question?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Our All next guest, Blake Zipzak, is on the line right now, Merle, Uh He's Merle, down the border war, so we'll let him get a question into you too. Go ahead, Mike.
7: Merrill, it's an absolute honor to talk to you. Um, I have one question: What is the best thing that you've ever called?
5: Other than other than the Super Bowl against the Patriots in 2018, if that is the best thing that you've ever called, and I remember
7: distinctly listening to. Your call of um, the, the strip sack,
5: and I still quote it to this day, but if that's your favorite, I'll go with it. Well, I would say that unless you want to disallow a Super Bowl because of its magnitude. My other favorite game came on December the 19th, 2010, and that was the game at the Meadowlands where the Eagles played so badly that I said at the end of the first half, the score was the Giants 23, the Eagles were back at the hotel. And then in the second half, Michael, Michael Vick hit Brent Selick over the middle, and it was a 64-yard touchdown. Then David Akers had an onside kick recovered by Riley Cooper, and they marched down again and scored. And they scored again on a, on a pass to Jeremy Macklin and then Michael Vick on a quarterback draw. And finally, the capping touchdown was a pass to Jerry, Jeremy Macklin inside the left pylon. And then the Giants stadium came to a hush and the Eagles' defense stopped Eli Manning and company one more time, and Matt Dodge, the Giants' punter, went back, and he kicked it, he punted it to Deshaun Jackson, who muffed it, reached down, picked it up, and the Red Sea parted, and Jason Avant threw a great block downfield, and Deshaun went for the walk-off home run.
1: Well,
5: I'll tell you one thing, Murray. You can't forget Herman
1: Edwards, the miracle of the metal edge. You, right. you gotta love that one, and also the fact that uh, one of the one of the best games I ever saw between the Giants and the Eagles uh, was uh, Car- was the Carmichael that made the kick. No, was uh, Cunningham made the- He kicked a quick kick, but it was, like, it was sixty,
5: over oh, so seventy was the, yards.
1: He was he kicked it yeah. from about the what the, yeah, was like that, the five that, or that eight yard 90, line. That
5: was the nine, ninety-three yard punt.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah that I mean that, <laughs> I, I'll never forget that as long as I live. Uh, that, uh, Herman Edwards and of course that kick was. Which were just game, total game changers. You'd never forget yep. it if you saw it. Merle, yep, thank you very, very much. We can, we can talk about reminiscing of the old days forever.
3: We can talk about Merle. Bye.
1: Merle, Bye-bye. congratulations
3: yes, on, uh, your, on your great success and uh, tenure with the Eagles. You're the best. And then uh, good luck for the Eagles. Have a great broadcast Saturday night. We'll be listening. Okay. Take care. bye on. Take care, take care Merle.
1: We'll be with you, Merle. Thank you so much. Okay, let's bring Mike back in. I didn't have a chance to announce Mike was uh, holding on while Merle was on and jumped in and got a question in. Uh, well, you normally talk soccer, but uh story today in the paper, uh, actually yesterday's story, but today in the papers, uh, it looks like Washington's going to have uh, new owners, and uh, I didn't realize the dates. The, uh, the sale looks like it's going to go through. The the bank, of course, is negotiating, and it has to be in March And then the owners have to, at the end of March, uh, uh, announce that they agree with the owners that are buying the club. Uh, Now, you're right there at Baltimore, Washington. Uh, uh, Mike, where where do we stand with that now?
7: It's real easy for me to say, which franchise? In this area, we
1: have The the Commanders. The football franchise.
7: Yeah, we have the Commanders, we have the Nationals, and we also have the Orioles. Um.
1: I'm but this was the first definite uh, size of uh, what the dates were that the uh, commanders were going to be sold.
7: You're correct. Uh, the bids are in. The front runner, as relayed by uh, J.P. Finley, Joshua Harris, who is the current owner of the 76ers and right. the New G-
3: the Devils. Devil.
7: Yeah. Uh, that does not preclude Jeff Bezos from coming in later and saying that he might make an offer. What he doesn't want to get into is a bidding war, and the uh, the the Snyders are very reluctant to sell to Jeff Bezos. But right now, it looks like um, Joshua Harris is the front runner. But that's just based on what we know. Yes, March seems to be the time frame that they're trying to get that done by. That gives the new owner the opportunity to have say in draft, which is a big thing. You wouldn't right. want to go through what is the biggest tunnel acquisition thing that you could have and not have a say in it.
5: It's a little bit of a, a, a,
7: a situation because if new owners take over in March, what they won't have is the ability to necessarily change coaches. Uh, we expect Washington got rid of Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, but they have seem to have retained uh, Ron Rivera. Right. So if you get to March, that coaching cycle has been figured out. So basically, anybody who comes
3: into Washington
7: this year as a coach looks like they're going to be on a you know lame duck year.
3: Roger. Well, I'm just wondering whether new ownership uh, would really uh, like Ron Rivera. You know, from uh, what he's done and what he's had to put uh, been, have to go through uh, to get to the uh, almost making the playoffs this year. What about that, Mike? What's your opinion? Uh. Seven
7: and nine, seven and ten, eight, eight and one. That is not necessarily the progression that I'm looking for. We've okay. also had this situation where Holy Ron Rivera has been given an enormous amount of power within the organization. Uh, Dan Snyder said that we were going to set up this coach-centric organization. Don uh, Ron Rivera has hired the GM, he answers directly to the owner. There's nobody to hold him accountable. If he decides Mm -hmm. that he doesn't want to get rid of Jack Del Rio, like I thought that he should have last year, there's nobody to hold him accountable. If he had decided that he didn't want to get rid of Scott Turner, he wanted to keep him as the offensive coordinator this year, there's nobody to hold him accountable. It may not
1: be right, that. Let me, let me do this, uh my Tim is our guest and uh, we're gonna continue, but we're also gonna bring Doug Hamilton in. Doug uh, down in the Baltimore Washington area as well, PGA mm-hmm. professional and but uh, our uh, finger on the on the Ravens and we'll talk about them as well. But uh
7: actually I, just... I, I really do have a question
1: for Doug. Okay, but well, we're gonna you... like we're gonna let Ooh. you get it in. Go to it. Okay.
7: Doug, did you hear um, Jim Angelos' comments on how he felt about the ownership of the Orioles uh, on Monday? You know,
8: I I missed it, but I I think, um, you know, obviously there's there's a lot going on within the Angelos family, as we've discussed on the show previously, and, um, you know, I think that there's some reason to believe that, you know, there's a little faulty ground there um, in terms of the possibility exists the team gets sold. Um, so I, I didn't hear it. Um, so let, let me have it.
7: Um, he, well, he's just very reluctant. And the uh, lease on Camden Yards is coming up in a couple of weeks. And he was think- not willing to, in his third public address in the last four years, commit to actually mm-hmm. keeping the team in Baltimore.
8: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's. As I yeah, I forecasted there would be, you know, some problematic. Well,
1: Mike, let me stuff. ask you this question: that is that the uh, there's so much drive now for minority, minority ownership in the National Football Where does Jay Z's group stand?
7: Well, uh, Jay Z's group was linked to Jeff Bezos, and Jeff Bezos is apparently out of ownership of the Commanders, so it doesn't matter. Okay. -hmm.
1: So his group's out all together.
7: Uh, The whole entire thing has been for a long time. The Sires will not sell to Jeff Bezos. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, both of you, you were brought up the Orioles. Uh, As I understand, what you're saying is Angelos may sell the team or and or the team may move out of Baltimore.
7: Yeah, Roger, I'll answer this. I'm shot. Uh, Yes, the answer to both is yes. Uh, And uh, Jim Angelos lives in Nashville. He's in a battle with his brother over control of this. Peter Angelos Mm -hmm. is in family health. They need to show – they need to divide up the empire. There's conversation about selling the team – there is no reason to sell the team right now and keep it there. Mm-hmm. So either he's, I i, I personally believe him, and Doug may disagree with me. Mm-hmm. I personally believe either A, he's going to keep, um, uh, Angelos is going to keep the team and move it to Nashville, or B, new ownership is going to come in and look to relocate the team because the only thing that is keeping them there in Baltimore right now is the fact that they own the majority of the broadcast rights to the Washington Nationals. Yeah.
1: Doug,
8: I I, I don't um, I don't envision a scenario where the Orioles would leave Baltimore. I, I don't think that would happen. Um, you know, you can probably have discussions about dividing up the empire and, and you know people wanting their money and those sorts of things, but you know to me that would be the same thing as saying that that someone's going to come in and buy the Washington move them. I mean, I don't I don't see any reason. I mean, there, there's a lot of discussions about getting um, was it uh, the, the, the pitcher from, used to pitch from uh, the Blue Jays. Uh, uh, Dave Stewart was talking about trying to get a team in Nashville and blah, blah, blah. That's going to be more of an expansion thing. I, I think the Orioles aren't moving anywhere. And then, you know, in terms of, of, you know, leases and those sorts of things, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on within the Angelos family, but um, I, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. Roger.
3: Well, you know, we've talked in the past about the rays moving out of uh, St. Petersburg and, uh, you know, to hear Nashville does not surprise me. Uh, but if I was to be a betting person, I would think Charlotte would get a team uh, before Nashville, but I may be totally wrong. I think Charlotte's, uh, really ready for major league baseball. Um, what do you, you fellows think about that? I know well, what John and I, I and Frank think.
1: Mike, go ahead.
3: Uh, this is the last comment I'm
7: going uh, to make on this, and I'm going to set Doug up real nice. <laughs> um, it's tough to be in Baltimore. What you got right now is a stadium that's almost uh, that's 25 years old that is Nice, but you've got a twenty five years old stadium
1: 30. a team
7: that has a little bit of talent and the ownership of the Washington nationals broadcast rights. Uh, I think as much as I love the Baltimore area, uh, it, you, you can do better elsewhere doug i'm going to leave you to save Baltimore yeah. and get out of here so that you <laughs> can look like the guy uh, you can look like the white hat. People. fair enough
1: <laughs> okay mike thank you very hey, much mike, Don't i'll let you me. answer that one
8: well look i mean at the end of the day i think we all know that business is business um but you know i think that that you know the baltimore orioles have a long and storied history and you know are steeped in tradition um you know i've been yeah i mean look you got Natty Bows and the Baltimore O's and you know you know apple pies and all these different things going. I, I don't. I just don't envision that. I don't. I mean, it, to me, the best thing in the world would be to have the Angelo's family sell it to somebody who actually, you know, gives a, you know, bleep about, you know, fielding a winning team. I mean, I think you've got, um, you know, a guy in Mike Elias who basically made chicken salad out of chicken poop last year, and you know, they're only trending upwards. I mean, I. I, I don't, you know, this is finally a good time to be in Baltimore. I think, you know, look, my my opinion is, and I, I know that that Mike's a Washington guy, but I mean, I, the Nationals to me are an irrelevant team. I, I don't even consider them. I mean, they're, they might as well be an expansion team for all I care. You know, I, I they they're they're the ones that need to leave. I think the Orioles have dominated this area for far longer than. They can go back to Montreal if they want to. I don't care where they go, but, I mean, you're dividing up the rights. I mean, I think the Masson belongs to Baltimore. It has nothing to do with the Nationals.
3: Roger? Well, what Mike's talking about, Doug, you probably know when we've talked about it, that uh, they're looking uh, for their uh, own uh, cable uh, partner. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's like in Philadelphia, the Phillies' own Uh, one-quarter of NBC Sports Philadelphia.
1: So Mm -hmm.
3: obviously what would be a natural national deal would be for them to own uh, a portion or 25% or whatever the case might be of NBC Mm -hmm. Sports DC. Mm -hmm. And then that way, Masson would not be involved and you would have the nationals on one system and you know the Orioles obviously on Masson right
8: now actually that's totally fine with me I you know I, I hate you know tuning into you know the Masson channel here looking to watch the Orioles and have the
5: Nationals
8: you know what I mean I'm, let's let's separate them. that's totally fine with me
5: <laughs>
8: so.
1: well let's switch over to football because uh, you had a very difficult weekend <laughs> uh, I'll tell you I really think uh, my quick opinion would be the Ravens outplayed Cincinnati over the weekend, but unfortunately a couple yeah. of very, very critical mistakes cost them a chance to go to the next mm-hmm. round.
8: Yeah, I mean, and certainly in my opinion, I think, I think the Ravens, um, I mean, in, in the three matchups they played against Cincinnati, I think they dominated all three for the most part. Unfortunately, they came out with two losses. So, um, you know, I think that the, I mean, I don't know. I, I think if you'd have told me that, you know, at the end of the first half, the Ravens would be winning 10-9, to 9, I'd have thought probably had too much to drink. Um, you know, if you'd have told me that they'd be tied 17-17 with just under 12 minutes left to go in the game, I'd have said, whatever you're drinking, I'd like to have some of that. Um, so I, I think that the Ravens uh, totally botched the end of the first half uh, with their timeouts and the clock management um you know kicking a field goal there is certainly better than not scoring but uh, i think that you know in many ways that should have been a touchdown i think that i have no earthly idea why they would try to do a quarterback sneak from the two-yard line um you know you have gus edwards you have jk dobbins who are both completely competent and cap- you know. If, even if they don't get the ball into the end zone, it's seventeen seventeen. You kick a field goal, you're still up twenty seventeen, and I'll take my chances from there because the defense was playing very well. Um, statistically, the Joe Burrow did not have a Joe Burrow like game. You know, all, all the media pundits prior to the game were talking about, you know, oh, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, and Jamar Chase, and how good they are, and blah blah blah. Well, they didn't really do that much. You know, no, they didn't. Broke Roquan and and uh, the Ravens' defense, they, that guy Mike McDonald called, you know, a couple really good uh, games against Cincinnati this year. And, they, you know, look, at the end of the day, the Bengals are going to move on to the next uh, the next round. But they all know in their locker room that when they play against the Ravens that it's going to be a physical smash mouth, you know, kind of grind it out win. Um, so, um you know, look. The off all, all season starts. They were cleaning out their lockers, and there's a lot of, you know, obviously the discussion moving forward is, you know, who who do we have on our roster? What's the salary cap number going to be? Um, you know, who's going to retire? Who's going to come back? Who's going to sign? Uh, in terms of free agency, the draft, Lamar. I mean, all these different questions are surrounding. I mean, if you if you listen to that, I think I personally think that Stephen A. Smith may be the dumbest human being on earth. Um, And I can't stand listening to him. If I hear his voice, I change the channel or I put something in my ears to prevent hearing it. Um, You know, these guys are talking. You need to trade Lamar. And I'm like, wait a second. Let's, you know, everybody's saying the right things. You know, we want to have Lamar in Baltimore. We want to sign him to a contract. We want to negotiate with him. You know, on the other side is saying, hey, look, I want to be in Baltimore. I, I want to, you know, sign a contract. I, I want to, you know, talk about this. So everybody's saying the right things. We just have to get the right people in the rooms. At the end of the day, you know, if he's going to request the Deshaun Watson 230 whatever 1000000 dollars guarantee, you know, the Rams are going to have to make a decision to say, listen, partner, I, I can't do that. I'm really sorry. That's just not something we're willing to do. From I don't business, think you get know, that from
3: anybody,
0: Doug. Roger. I don't, think, um, I don't.
8: I don't, I don't think I don't I know. I, listen, there's there's a sucker born every you know, every minute. And I think that <laughs> if you can you know, you you franchise tag him, you know, he signs the deal, you trade him. You trade him to the highest bidder and there's somebody out there that's willing to do that. The Browns were willing to do that. And I got to tell you, but that guy Deshaun is not half the quarterback that Lamar is in terms of his abilities. I don't think so personally. I he played like – he played terribly in the games he played this year. And he I don't know. It's, it's, it's It could be – it sounds like a divorce is what some of those people on TV Well,
1: let, let me ask you this, because huh? I uh, – you know, we've talked about it. You and I have talked about it on the show since he was drafted. But uh, – yeah. so we're, we're going way back. But sure. was there a little bit of uh, concern? Uh, he didn't make the trip. He wasn't at the game. uh yeah. I mean, I, I would think if I'm management, I mean, you know, maybe it was their decision not to have him travel. I, I don't know. Nobody's well, ever no, – at least I have not seen or have I heard any comment about other than the fact well, that he wasn't even there.
8: Apparently, his mouthpiece is now RG3, who is claiming that uh, Lamar was sick because he spoke with him. Uh, which would mean if he actually was sick and they didn't want him to travel, he had some version of illness. It would have been uh, bordering on a two-week illness. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on there, but I've also heard other people say that if Lamar had a contract, he would have played. Then you have other people in the the Ravens locker room. Marlon Humphrey was one, and there was somebody else that said, you know, hey, look, man, we saw him limping around and – you know, he, Marty Morningwig came on and, and the former offensive coordinator, and he said, you know, Lamar's a, a quintessential pro. He's a great leader. He's all these things. And I just know he would have been out there if he could have been. so, you know, I, I don't know what the story is, you know, Don, I think.
1: Yeah, but I was, there's a big difference between saying, I was," I, I other if he was sick. I mean, you don't want to get yeah. everybody else sick. But, I mean, mm-hmm. not to be there I don't, uh, just to support your yeah. teammates that uh, – Sure. It just seems to be a little strange. I mean, uh, uh, you know, how sick was he? Uh, what kind of a sickness? <laughs> is he? You know, I don't know. Roger, you're up. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't know.
3: Well, RG three's now a talking head for uh, ESPN. Yeah. I'm not a fan of yeah. ESPN. I don't watch it much. It's maybe a game, but the games. No. But uh, I'm, I'm I'm, you know, uh, about Stephen A. You know. Uh, but the 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 thing is that uh, what uh, what's really hit me is Doug. We have talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Wink Martindale, I've seen on TV now more than I ever saw him in my life. Okay, with the Giants. I yeah. mean, he and people, you know, they're they constantly are showing the two of them, and sure. uh, the and, and Wink Martindale is getting oh accolades. And yet, you know, John Horbaugh had enough and he got rid of him.
1: Well, he's, he's been all, he's, so he's up for two jobs, but they can't do any interviewing until after uh, the Giants yeah. are eliminated. And, uh, uh, you know, they've talked about uh, uh, two of the Giants, their offensive coordinator as well as Warndale. And uh, yeah. both of them are, are being uh, sought for interviews, but obviously you can't interview when your team's involved in the playoffs.
8: Sure. Right. Well, well I, I don't necessarily think that, and this is, is probably a good transitional comment, but I, I don't think that anybody uh, ever thought that Wink Martindale wasn't a good defensive coordinator or, or a good coach. I think that, you know, in many cases, and you'll see it again this year, where, you know, as a as a head as a head coach, you know, you you lose all those games down the stretch, and you know somebody comes knocking on your door and say, hey, coach, you know what? hell's going on here like why why are we losing so many? what happened oh you know gosh you know wink wink i'm sorry buddy but we just we're gonna have to you know we're gonna go in a different direction here buddy and then everything's okay because somebody you know fell on the sword um you know you look at it this year you know you guys had a pretty good year you paid to the playoffs and you know Lamar didn't play the last five or six games. You know what, what, what do you think we want to do? Oh, I'm sorry, Greg Roman, you're going to have to fall on the sword this year because we're going to try to change some things around in our offensive room. We're going to try to Did they let pass him Pass the go? ball more? Not yet, but I, I think it, to me it's a it's a foregone conclusion. I don't. Um, you know, most of the people here in Baltimore are clamoring for some version of change. Um, you know, I think that. Um, aside from being a scapegoat, I think that his offense has widely been unproductive the last several years. Um, The unfortunate part is now that this offense was built by him um, with, obviously, the main protagonist of this being Lamar Jackson. So um, you bring in another offensive coordinator, um, you start installing some different, you know, passing game schemes.
1: Well, you're going to have to upgrade –
8: You know your your wide receivers. You're going to have to Lamar a little more accurate than he is, and and do some different things. And your your style of probably offensive line and blocking is going to change. They're going to have to replace their left guard Ben Powers because likely he's going to cash in somewhere else. Um, I mean, your receiving room is totally depleted. You know, if 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 uh, Bateman comes back healthy and Duvernay comes back healthy, you don't have much beyond that. Some of these other guys haven't developed over the years. You've got a good tight end room and you've got good uh, running backs, but. That's always been the calling card of Greg Roman. He's always had good tight ends, um, and he's always had good running backs because that's that's what he does. You know, um, Roger. you look at the Ravens, the Ravens draft capital. They don't have a second round pick. They don't have a seventh round pick. You know what I mean? They're they're missing some things here, and depending on what they would do with Lamar, they're going to be up against the salary cap. So uh, I'm curious to see how we wiggle out of this one.
3: You know, that's very interesting you brought up about the uh, lack of draft picks because that was always under – when Ozzie <laughs> Newsom was the general manager, I mean, that, <laughs> the draft was his, uh, uh, yeah. for, in, you know, uh, his strength. I mean, sure. that was his history for years. I mean, how how good he was with uh, getting draft picks. And so, the, the, what, what do you think, uh, you know, coaches are hired to be fired? Let's face it, and Harbaugh's been there a long time. Uh, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: What do you think if things don't get better next year? Do you think you could see there could be a change in uh, the the head coach and the whole staff? Well, I think
8: you know. Look, I don't know what the scouting report said on Lamar Jackson when the Ravens moved back up into the end of that first round to draft him. I was was watching that draft in, in my bed at the time and was pretty stunned to see the ravens would you know draft lamar jackson as a quarterback um in many ways i think that coach harbaugh's run in baltimore had grown stagnant um at the end of the flacco era and lamar's resurgence you know helped him keep his job i think you know it's the same thing i would say to you know the one of the same things that got donald trump elected is the same thing that got him you know not reelected. you know so um you know, nobody wanted to vote for Hillary, so they voted for Donald Trump. You know, and then the next year, no one wanted to vote for Donald Trump because they didn't like him because they wanted to vote for Biden. He was a lesser... Gentlemen, we're just out
1: of time for tonight's show, and I want to thank all our guests for participating. We've had a great show tonight. Great show. And
8: we'll
1: let uh, we'll let Frank Carroll, our executive producer, close yeah. out the show. Frank, it's all yours.
2: All right, guys. I want to thank everybody for coming on tonight. A great thank show. you, Frank. Thank you, Roger. Roger thank you, Don. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Doug, Merle, and... Uh, Roy, and Ken, Stevie. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and everything, and you see somebody in uniform, please give them a a chance. Um, Give them a handshake, a wink of the eye, anything. Just let them know that you know they're there and that you appreciate them. These programs are also dedicated to those who've lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Powell, Patrolman Jeff Colgate, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazdick, Sergeant Thomas Bader, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Rick Childers, San Diego, Mike Henley, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Charlie Lake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Officer Christian, Wakeman PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Arda Pope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Fikas, Wilmington Fire Department. Florida Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Alho, Wollongwood Creek Police Department. Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Deputy Mike Hargrave, Dinellas County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, uh, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Chris Meyer, Polk County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point, the will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rain fall softly on your fields and sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a
9: great week.
2: County Dispatch 1999. All units be advised 1999 is to his last emergency. May God rest his soul.